Hi, this is Leanne Levensailer, co-head and managing director of Workday Ventures, and I'm here to talk with Brett Hurt, co-founder and CEO of Data.World. We'll be talking about, you guessed it, data, and we'll also be talking about the partnership between Workday and Data.World. Hello, Brett, thanks for joining me here today. Hey, how are you, Leanne? Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's really high energy to be here on the expo floor, yes. surrounded by 11,000 people. <laughs> it is, it is day three of the Workday Rising Conference, so we're delighted to have you all here. It's been a full program, so well, thanks thank for making you. the time for this podcast. Absolutely. Okay, so Brett, you have a long history of seeing data change cultures as the founder and former CEO of Bizarre Voice and Cormetrics before data.world. Um, both companies became large global companies, and I believe that Cormetrics sold to IBM for 300 million, and Bizarre Voice went public at a billion dollar valuation. So before we jump into your current project, data.world, uh, what can you share that you learned at those companies about this area of building a data-driven culture? Yeah, so I've been on this journey for a long time um, that data is very liberating and is, is the ultimate source of truth. And at Core Metrics, just to take you back to that time, I was 26 years old and e-commerce was really just beginning. And during those days, you may remember metrics like page views and unique mm -hmm. visitors being kind of the gold standard of whether or not a business online was performing. And the reality is those metrics were pretty meaningless. They were just kind of interest metrics. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell you how your advertising was performing, how your merchandising was doing. If you, did, if you rolled out a big site redesign or implemented some new tool on your e-commerce site, you had no idea really how effective that was. And so I came from this, uh, this business that I had founded before CoreMetrics where I had my own e-commerce site. And I grew up in a family of retailers and growing up working in their stores. So to me, it was kind of intuitive that you would want to know what your customers are doing. Mm -hmm. You would ask them how they found you, et cetera. And I was blind in operating my own online store. And so I started to build metrics that would really illuminate what was happening inside this mm -hmm. black box and eventually founded CoreMetrics, found that that was a huge market opportunity that people like Amazon and CDNow were shockingly behind where I was with this little tiny e-commerce site that I had built. That mm -hmm. was really shocking to me. I, I, I really expected them to be way ahead, but they both compelled me saying, you should start this business. Like, we even need what you're doing. Was it a lack of their in innovation agenda, not being quite where it needed to be, or was it just white space that they just didn't see? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. What it was, at the end of the day, was it was, um, they were too bandwidth constrained just trying to keep up with their site traffic mm -hmm. to focus on this fundamental need to understand the truth of what mm -hmm. was happening inside their site. Um, I remember when I walked into CD Now, where I had a friend working there who actually is now my co-founder for Data.World, uh, Matt Lessig. I, I told Matt, I said, look, you're going to laugh at me. You're going to see the analytics I built for my e-commerce site, and you're going to think it's silly and really not very sophisticated, but I, but I just want you to be truthful with me about like how you would improve it. Like, you know, you, kind of, you guys are kind of the gold standard. And that meeting ended with me having all these people surrounding me from CDNow saying, how do you do that? Getting back to kind of that, that source of truth and how data changes culture, at Core Metrics, um, you would see clients like Eddie Bauer, who had been 
debating every Monday morning for four hours, like what goes on the hero image on their homepage, because they're thinking like a cataloger. Um, they, they were used to that, like catalogs all about imagery, and, and they were thinking, I'll just apply this to the web. And we came along and we showed them that only 5% of people ever clicked on that hero image mm -hmm. on the homepage. They were spending four hours every Monday. So talk about data being liberating and changing culture. They stopped having that four hour long meeting. It didn't matter. It was, and even less people were buying when they clicked on that. And, mm -hmm. and you know, core metrics cause like the sea change in e-commerce. Um, the same thing was true of, uh, of online advertising. Like people had no idea how it was performing. And I used to say at the beginning of Core Metrics, I would say, you know that old John Wanamaker quote, half my advertising is wasted, mm -hmm. yep. I just don't know which half. I was like, for the first time in history, we're going to tell you precisely which half mm -hmm. is wasted. Now, if you fast forward to, uh, to Bizarre Voice, um, Bizarre Voice was the source of truth for products and services. It became the world's largest social commerce um, company in, you know, in a software as a service format became a large public company. And uh, believe it or not, in 2005, when I started that company with my co-founder, Brant, there were only three retailers in the entire United States who had customer reviews. This is just mm -hmm. 2005, right? A Couple of years before the iPhone came out. Facebook was close to the public. There was no Snapchat, there was no Instagram. Um, so it was, it was very novel at the time, and I remember when we won Walmart and they launched with us in terms of how data changed culture there, within a six month period, if they got a certain amount of negative reviews on a product, they would not only ship it back from walmart.com to the vendor, they would ship it back from all their stores mm -hmm. and they'd give them a Bizarre Voice report saying, here's what people are saying and we don't want to deal with the returns. And it was the first time in history where you actually were able to predict what the return rates were going to be for these products. If you had a product flying off the shelves, you could have a very early um, signal on you need to double down on the inventory for that because this is going to be a very hot product relative to your average. And so it, it causes sea change in, uh, in commerce again where when people had sourced to the truth, which was really just word of mouth in a digital form, they had this really very precise ability to merchandise and figure out why this decision support system was like flashing a red light saying that product that you sold three months ago had this enormously high return rate, which is super costly in stores and everything else, um, and, and really figure out like why that happened and create a whole new process around it. So our client summits at both CoreMetrics and Bizarre Voice were all, ar all around how data changes culture, and now to be able to do it at data.world on a much larger scale for lots of industries is really, really exciting. Right, and you know, we sit in an interesting place here at Workday. We serve the financial management organization within a uh, company as well as the human capital management organization. And financial management has largely been driven by data, by analytics, by reports, and, and yes, they have for sure. a level of sophistication uh, that is relatively high in the enterprise. Whereas, um, and certainly my background comes from the human capital management space, uh, that is not the case. So mm -hmm. we are very far behind. You're sitting here in 2018 where companies are just trying to get a hold of their um, data and understanding about really their most important asset, their people. And, and you know, this, is, uh, this reminds me that uh, 
history always repeats itself. Mm -hmm. And so um, there, are so many, there are so many patterns like at the beginning of data.world that take me straight back to the beginning of core metrics. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I could talk about those as we get into this, but it's, uh, history really does repeat itself. Let's talk about your mission statement at data.world now. So it's to build the world's most abundant, collaborative, and meaningful data resource. How do you assess the state of today's data in the world? Yeah, so it's, uh, this is one of those mission statements that'll be true 100 years from yes. now. It is uh, very, very ambitious. It's my most ambitious and exciting business today. So here, here's the deal that is really kind of shocking for the age that we live in. So we live in this networked age, right, where where we all have supercomputers super in our pocket and we just expect to have access to the world's information through Google and through Wikipedia. You know, the next generation is growing up with just instant access to knowledge. But the reality is that when you go on the internet today and you go look for data, data sets about climate change, about cancer, about anything you can imagine, the state of most of the world's data today is highly siloed, mm -hmm. highly undocumented. You don't have any idea what people have done with the data before you came along, so you're bound to repeat whatever cleanup work they did. Um, let's take you know, something as amazing as data.gov. That, that was announced under the Obama administration. It's a fantastic resource. It's a fantastic resource. They've been a partner of ours since, since close to the beginning of our company. All of data.gov is on data.world as well. And, um, I didn't know that. That's yeah, and, and you know, DJ Patel is one of our advisory board members. He was the nation's first uh, chief data scientist. He actually co-invented that term, data scientist. Talk about kind of owning a category <laughs> when you invent the term and then you become the nation's chief data scientist. So cool. And, um, and so if you look at data.gov and you find a data set on data.gov that you want to work with, it's not well documented almost all the time. Um, you have no idea all the people that came before you on data.gov and worked with it. Um, and you don't know how other people have joined it to other mm -hmm. data sets. You don't know how it's been linked to the rest of the world's knowledge. It just, it's almost like you're beginning from the ground floor over and, and, and over and over again. And it changes too, those data sets tend to change, the ontologies, they're, they're not right. static at all. Exactly, and so, so that's the state, I mean that's kind of the gold standard, mm -hmm. right? Um, and if you look at data inside universities, it very often gets orphaned, you know, a professor will retire that was putting that data set together and had been doing it over the years and and the work just falls off and you know, nobody knows like how it was prepared in the first place. And inside of companies, this is a huge problem because data is, again, highly siloed inside these companies. I was on the phone with one of the world's largest um, apparel brands just yesterday and they were trying to determine um, how their clearance items performed during their recent uh, spring promotion. They were trying to kind of recreate history mm -hmm. And he was telling me, you know, it's very likely that someone else in the company has already done this analysis. We are that big and that mm -hmm. global. But he's like, I have no idea um, <laughs> who's done that analysis. I have no access to that knowledge. So, you know, my team's doing it, doing it, and probably doing it again. Mm -hmm. And so the waste in human labor and productivity 
is just massive. And the sad, sad thing is that that really holds us back is, you know, from progressing, um, you know, as human beings, like my mom, unfortunately, you know, passed away from cancer. Cancer is a very data-driven problem. You may remember that Vice President Joe Biden, you know, when he lost his son, created the cancer moonshot. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to bring people together, organized around, around data. Um, to say we can solve this problem if we collaborate. And if you look at most of the breakthroughs in human history, it has been the serendipity of people that had been working on the same problem, maybe in different countries, that all of a sudden come together, maybe at a conference like this one, and then create that kind of breakthrough you know, insight yeah. and innovation. And so we're trying to accelerate that on a massive scale, both within companies, with in foundations, within universities, within government agencies. So, so it is a very ambitious um, and exciting business. And just at a high level, how do you do it? Like sort of mechanically, what are some of the feature sets or capabilities that are uh, you know, available to organizations? Well, so at, at this point, um, you know, a couple of things there. So at this point, we've now created the world's largest collaborative data community. It's actually grown faster than GitHub grew in its first two years of being live. We just celebrated our second anniversary of being live on July 11th. Um, that's given us a lot of know-how. Like, like one of the things that we recently came out with for not just our clients, but for the community is this ability for our queries, the queries that they will run on data to be pre-processed and now 25% of all queries run in data.world return in milliseconds because we have such a, a wide lens to look at um, and optimize from. And that's also created an amazing set of assets for our clients in, in the form of integrations. Um, we have 42 integrations and counting, Slack just went live um, recently. We have companies that have built their own integrations on top of data.world. I, I recently had a meeting with one of the largest analytics companies in the world, which they told me it is embarrassing that we are not already integrated with data.world. Like all of our competitors are and we're not. Um, and so that's, that, that, creates a, that creates a real asset for companies that we work with because they, decentralization is the norm and the marketing team and a lot of Fortune 500 companies using a different analytics platform than you know, this team over in merchandising, for example. And, and so they're not speaking the same language. There's no kind of lingua de franca in the, in the organization. The other, um, the other aspect of, of that is that kind of a third asset is the foundation of our platform, which our platform's all built on top of something called the semantic web. And we've got a white paper about this, so I'll try to not make this super technical. And our white paper is not very technical. We're trying to make it very accessible to everybody. What the semantic web is when it pertains to data is it allows data to enjoy the same type of network effect that pages have enjoyed on the World Wide Web. And you actually use the semantic web every day in, in data on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So anytime you type in like, I was just doing this podcast with Brett and we're friends on Facebook and it highlights my name and you kind of confirm it. Now that takes you to a data entity called Brett Hurt on mm -hmm. Facebook with everything that's known about me that I've put out there. And if they're a friend of mine or a mutual friend, they're going to see everything. If, if they're not, then they're going to see only what I've shared in public. Um, so that, you actually use the semantic web every day, and, and guess what, like Facebook's an expert in it, Google's an expert in it, Amazon's an expert in it, I'm pretty sure the NSA is an expert mm -hmm. in it, I know Goldman Sachs is, 
But there's this huge gulf in this data divide for technology that's been around for a long time. And Tim Berners-Lee has been on this mission to try to motivate the TED community to say, please adopt this for data. It'll have as big of an impact as pages. It'll bring us all together. It'll right. make the world so much smaller. And so our whole platform is built on top of the semantic web. And why, why companies should care about that is that it means that when you use data.world in a company and you drag and drop something like a spreadsheet you've been working on, and let's say there's product IDs in that spreadsheet, you're trying to figure out this spring clearance, you know, um, you know, analysis. So you drag and drop it in, and now immediately data.world will prompt you and say, it looks like you've uploaded a spreadsheet that has product IDs that map to this product catalog inside of your company. Is that correct? If you say yes, now it'll tell you everything known about those products. So it's reconciling for you. It's reconciling it's so automatically. It's really magic. Like to see it is very magical. Um, like when, when, when clients, when prospects see that, it's, there's this magic moment where they realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to have access to all the knowledge inside my company. And then they're part of a broader community where it's like, well, I'm going to have access to all the knowledge in the world that connects with my data It's truly democratizing, well. which is absolutely yeah, fantastic. It's, it's, it's in my intro, I mentioned my um, work with Workday Ventures and said, you know, this is a problem that we see across all of our companies, across every industry. And so last week, um, as you just mentioned, we announced uh, an investment in data.world and now that um, with that investment comes partnership. And I think that's the yeah. most important part of this discussion is the partnership between Workday and data.world. What was attractive to you about Workday, becoming a partner with Workday? Oh gosh, there's so much. I mean, so, so first of all, you know, Workday is one of the world's largest software as a service companies. I mean, I've had success as an entrepreneur and I'm very grateful for that, um, but I've never built a company the size of Workday, not even, not even close. And just getting access to you, Leanne, to Mark Peake, to Brittany Skoda, to your executive team that has so much know-how of how to build large companies is super valuable to us. Also, I think, I think your clients have a real need uh, for what we do and being able to collaborate and, and work with them is a huge uh, you know, gift to us and, and, and gift to them. Um, it, it just, it came together in such a, in such a beautiful way. And you know, as you said earlier, this industry really needs to be kind of modernized mm -hmm. in this area, um, that, it's, that it's lagged behind. Um, and it makes sense that it's lagged behind, by the way. Like, like the reason retail was such an early adopter with, uh, with core metrics, you know, back when I was 26, right. 20 years ago, right? um, is that retail is such thin margin. I mean, it lives and dies right. on, on its sales and its promotions. And so they had to become good at it quickly or they would perish. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think there's been that same level of need and urgency in HR. And it's just a missed opportunity mm -hmm. um, because of course, people live and die by the talent that right. they have and the retention rates that they have for that talent. And I'll tell you one of the things that that millennials are not going to put up with when they go work for these large companies is they're just not going to put up with not having instant access to the answers 
that they need to run the business. Like if you go to work for a company like Warby Parker today, yeah. okay, which was built from the ground up around data, it was built from the ground up around bits instead of yeah. atoms, right? And you go work from them, 80% of their employees are using an internally built data portal on a daily or weekly basis to make data-driven decisions. This prevents people from making bad decisions, from gut-level decisions, types of decisions yeah. Eddie Bauer was making when they were debating that that catalog image on their homepage for four hours every Monday morning. That is the divide that you talk about because companies that have been around, you know, that, that aren't digital first, aren't cloud-native companies, you know, not, not really, um, born in this last, you know, decade. Right. They have a legacy. Like they do. They have yeah. a legacy, and uh, you know, so many companies are trying to bridge that divide yes. now and yes. trying to get to the future. Right. Um, without being completely disruptive to their to their core business. So. Right. It, it right. is a great challenge, and the kind of companies that Workday serves, we serve, you know, the Warby Parkers, we serve the um, digital first companies, but we also have a bedrock of companies that are Fortune 500, Fortune yes. 50 companies that are really trying to transform, go through digital transformation That's right. right now. They, many of them are. They're, yeah. they're definitely aware of this problem, and, and that's, that's why you see many of them, actually Gartner predicts that 90% of the largest companies in the U.S. will soon have what's called a chief data officer. Yes. And the number one person that a chief data officer reports to, like 29% of chief data officers report to the CEO, um, the number three person they report to is the CEO. So around 50% of all chief data officers are reporting to either the CEO or the CEO. And these are companies that really get it because they realize the value of data and that they need to drive a cultural mm -hmm. revolution in the company to be more, operate more like a Warby Parker. Um, and that's, that's a great call to action for us. And I've, I've gotten to see that at the beginning of my um, entrepreneurial career, like with core metrics, it was at the advent of the VP of e-commerce, and we're going to make them successful. At um, Bizarre Voice, it was the advent of the CMO, and we're going to make you know her or him successful. Um, and now with Data.World, it's the advent of the chief data officer. That's and right. and you know the other thing that Gartner predicts is that 50% of them will fail within a two-year period. I think that's normal from the standpoint of these jobs aren't super well defined right now because mm -hmm. they're so new. Right. Um, so you've got you've to come along and be able to really help. And what really turns me on um, in business is seeing a cultural transformation, like hopefully being a tiny part of business history where you see a light bulb go on and it changes the industry. Like, like with Bizarre Voice, we'll never know a world without customer reviews now. Right. Like it's ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Like Bizarre Voice grew into a company with you know, in 38 international languages, thousands mm -hmm. of clients all over um, the world. You know, with core metrics, we'll never know a world now where you're not accountable directly to how your advertising is performing, how your merchandise is performing, because you have no excuse. Like, you know exactly. Right. And not that people want excuse, like they want the truth. Um, but, you know, in the data space, I think that there's been a great disservice done to companies because unfortunately, a lot of the efforts have been focused around quants and people that are real kind of brainiacs and selling to them. And the reality is the whole company needs to be data-driven, yeah, really not just like the data scientists. All the business leaders. Right. So I, I often wonder, and, and I sit on both sides of this debate, is a chief data officer a transitional role to get the organization to have a data-driven culture? 
and then the requisite functional leaders uh, are cha are transformed, right? And that that, yeah. that that's not an enduring role; it's a transitional role. It's something to consider. Where you know, part of all of our responsibilities, but capabilities, you know, that we would bring to our roles would be data intensive, data supportive of the data culture. Yeah. Regardless of the function. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, I. Th think the answer is no, it's not transitional. Um, it's too complicated to be transitional. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, like, part of the chief data officer's charter is not just to be a cultural change agent, but also to go out and acquire the world's knowledge on behalf of the company. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you make sense of all these people trying to sell you data? Um, you know, there are over 4,000 data brokers in the US, wow. for example, that are constantly calling on P&G and other large companies saying. So it's a new business okay. function? It's, it's I, I really think it is. Yeah. I think, because yeah. I think like today, it's not kind of clear. Like if you're no. at Axiom or Experian, who do you call? Right. Like you maybe call the CMO or something. Right. But this is a CMO um, equipped to be a real expert in vetting mm -hmm. like whether or not that data is good for your organization. Well, particularly and, if you want it cross-functional as we were talking about earlier. Right. Yeah, chances are this analysis is being done in a different context somewhere else in the organization. How would yeah. you know if they were independent? That's I really appreciate you asking me that question though because it nobody's asked me that question and it's and it's a really important question. I do believe that that the chief data officer will lead to all executives being much more data-driven, right. which I think will be great. Because I mean, what is what does a data-driven organization look like, right? Okay. It's much more competitive, it's much more intelligent, it's much more efficient, and it's much more liberating. I mean, it's much more attractive to a millennial population, which can come in and say, wow, I can run like light speed here. I can get instant right. access to how my business performing, know what I need to do, and they're still applying out. their right. judgment. They're right. taking the predictions, of they're course, taking yeah. the data, they're taking the predictions that were created off of the data, they're applying their judgment, and they're having better outcomes. That's right. It's just That's augmented right. intelligence, yeah. it's augmenting the human, it's not replacing it. There's so much it. creativity required in business. Yeah, I think, I think we're a long way off from kind of an AI Intelligent doing beings all this stuff. taking <laughs> input right. on things they don't understand or don't right. know. Right. We talked about that yesterday actually in the keynote um, for Workday Rising. Yeah. That's excellent. Okay, so what can Workday customers look forward to on the integration front with data.world? I have some things to share, but I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, so, um, you know, so we're obviously like hot off the presses. Um, you know, we just announced last week with you guys and, and could not be more honored to have you guys invest in us um, and, and believe in us. Um, so there's so many opportunities. I mean, you know, one, one you know, very obvious opportunity is on the Workday cloud platform side. I, I spent a lot of time with that team yesterday mm -hmm. and there's so many different ways I think we'll be able to integrate there and, and, and hopefully have a big presence and helping clients that are, that are using the Workday cloud platform. And they're building applications on the Workday cloud platform, they're extending Workday, but in almost all cases, they're trying to work with other data sets Yes. Uh, to create yeah. experiences for their users, whether it's around our financial management footprint or human capital management footprint. In almost all cases, they're ingesting or bringing, bringing other data sets. So you know, we really look forward to having data.world as a first-class citizen service as part of the Workday Cloud Platform to, well, thank you. to help them. So that's an yeah. exciting yeah, opportunity Yeah, we're really excited us. about that. And then, and then you, know, you guys are investing um, in Prism Analytics. I mm -hmm. think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to work together on that front. Um, so yeah, so I'm really excited to see how that all develops. Yeah. And, 
really, you know, get very, um, spend a lot of time with mutual clients. I, I, I spent a lot of time on this trade show floor talking to your clients and there is, they're aware of this big data divide and they really are aware of the need to kind of catch up. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like HR is an area where, where um, I feel like we can we'll, leapfrog we'll, in HCM. Exactly, we I think so. We almost don't even have a legacy. I, you know, I don't want to under, um, you know, I think value you're exactly of, right. I don't want to undervalue a lot of the wonderful activity that has been happening, um, but as a whole, right? Not, right? not some of the more innovative companies. We can leapfrog. We can go from you know, effectively reporting and, and, and with obsolete data to leapfrogging into this future state of a truly collaborative environment with rich analytic and distribution tools from Workday as well. So it's, yeah. it's a nice marriage here. So Absolutely. We're super yeah, we're excited really, about it. Really excited about it too. And thank you for taking the time for this podcast, Brett. Um, it's been wonderful. And uh, thank you for those of you who are listening to this podcast. I'm Leanne Levensailer, and this is the Workday Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs>